Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Patchett. And I am still Tame Kill. You know, we have just completed another NJO session. New, new judge ju- orientation. Yeah, for the new Superior Court judges across Georgia, and we are excited to watch their bench careers take off. Yeah, and it was really especially fun to uh, train my replacement. <sighs> God, you're so retired. <laughs> <laughs> I am, aren't I? All right, so today we're going to discuss the topic of grand jury proceedings. Yeah, you know, several years ago, we had an NJO attendee who raised his hand and told us that he had to charge a grand jury shortly after the NJO class was completed. And luckily, as luck would have it, Wade, we had a script for him, and it was all part of the NJO materials. So speaking of luck, Tane, mm-hmm. luck, luckily for us and for all of you listening, an updated grand jury outline was just presented during the winter conference that was delivered to all the Superior Court judges across Georgia. Yeah. And it gave us material to rely upon to record a podcast. Shout out to Judge Heather Lanier and the other judges who worked on those outlines because we will uh, liberally borrow from them. <laughs> what you're saying is shout out to everyone we've leached off over the years making this podcast. Um, we truly could not do it without your help. And that covers all the claims of plagiarism, right? I mean, when we give a shout out, we're, we're totally covered. The right? shout out rule. Yeah, it's a shout out rule. It's like if you, if you shout out to everybody, then uh, there's no plagiarism. All right, wait. So some of our listeners probably do not have a lot of interaction with grand juries. We hope that in your quest to learn everything there is to learn about the legal system. Yeah, you legal nerds you, out there. So those of you who don't do a lot of grand jury proceedings will also find this episode uh, – entertaining and enlightening you know we never know exactly when these episodes are going to be released but at the time of this recording the subject of grand jury proceedings in georgia is a pretty hot topic yeah particularly yeah well particularly (laughs) special purpose grand juries but uh we're not going to really dive into the deep end about grand juries we're going to start in the shallow end wade in slowly and explain you know regular grand juries so I think Tame most people understand what a trial jury looks like. They they've seen the it pettit on TV. Jury. The pettit jury, the pettit, the they they have under they understand what that looks like. But then there's this conversation about a grand jury and how are they different? And I think seriously, people, pe- some people, unless you have been in a DA's office, probably you probably have not had much interaction with a grand jury. Hopefully, unless you've had some <laughs> dicey <laughs> things stuff things have gone really life. south. Yeah. yeah. So most most of Georgia's law dealing with a grand jury can be found in Title 15, really sort of beginning with 15-12-60. Yeah, normally the way this whole process gets started is that citizens will receive a summons for grand jury just like they would receive a regular jury summons or a notice. You know, Tane, I always talk to trial juries and I said, I'm sure that when you got your jury summons, you ran through your house and high-fived everyone you could find because it was finally your turn. Always happens. Yeah. Everybody's always excited about it. So when a jury summons for grand jury duty goes out, it is a it is for a particular term of court, and this is with a regular grand jury. Right. Yeah. Uh, in every one of Georgia's 159 counties, that's a lot. 
Yeah, it's the most. Uh, within the uh, one of the 50, they're all within one of the 50 judicial circuits. And uh, Georgia law, OCGA section 15-6-3. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. And I feel happy to be part of that. Uh, that statute sets out how many terms of court exist in each of the 50 circuits. And they really vary widely. Yeah, so every circuit must have two terms per calendar year. Right. Hunting season and then the regular and term then of planting court. season. Or Plant, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So let's give you a couple examples. In Columbia County, for example, we have two terms of court. It started on the fourth Monday in March and then the fourth Monday in September. What did y'all have in Cobb? Yeah. Cobb has six terms, roughly two months, uh, two months in each term, starting on the second Monday in January, the second Monday in March, May, July, September, and November. So multi-county circuits may have actually different terms of court. Actually, they almost always do have different terms of court for each one of the counties within that multi-county circuit. Yeah, exactly. Back in the Augusta circuit, for example, in Burke County, there's two terms starting on the fourth Monday in April and the fourth Monday in October. But Richmond County was kind of like Cobb. They did six terms, two-month terms. On the third Monday in January, March, May, July, September, and November, it, you get the point. Yeah, and, and a lot of that goes back to, you know, when that was the only time you were going to have a jury trial is at the you know beginning of a term of court, and so uh, in the larger counties or the counties with more population, you had more of those terms of court because you were going to have court more often because you needed to have that, and and still do, quite frankly. So to go back to the point of why we we just went through all that. The grand jury is going to meet for the term. So in Tain Circuit, you're going to have six grand juries a year. In my circuit, I'm going to have two. Right. right. That doesn't mean they're going to meet twice. That just means that there's going to be two grand jury selection moments, I guess. That's right. Whereas you would have six. That's right. Now, the grand jury meets, and here's matters for the entire term of court for which they were selected, as Wade said. Um the grand jury makeup is something that we'll, we'll just briefly touch on. So the grand jury is made up of, as the statute says, no less than 16 and no more than 23 members. Frequently, grand juries will have three alternates that could take the place of enough people. You've got to always have 16 to conduct business. Right. You don't ever have more than 23. So the three, if you have 23, if you have at least 16, you don't have to engage the alternates. Right. But you have them just in case something were, God forbid, happened to one of your grand juries. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, especially for grand juries that last half a year, I mean, something could easily happen so that somebody can't serve uh, all or part of their term. So the grand jury sort of selection process begins a whole lot like a trial jury process, Tank. The panel of potential grand jurors take an oath. Boy, they take a lot of oaths. Yes, they do. They do. We take an oath to truthfully answer all the qualification questions, mm -hmm. and then the qualifications are posed to the entire panel of potential grand jurors. Yeah, and, and, and um, almost all of what happens in the grand jury is statutory. So when you yeah. go back to these statutes, it's laid out for you. The qualification questions are similar to the kind that you would ask a trial jury, but there are a couple of interesting exceptions, aren't there, Wade? There are. For example, grand jurors must live in the county and be at least 18 years of age. Those sort of qualifications are always applicable to grand jurors, trial jurors, pettit jurors. Right. But then among those qualifications is that no person on a grand jury can be currently holding an elective office or having held elected office within the last two years preceding the calling of that grand jury. We don't want those people on the grand jury. 
Right. Well, they might be somebody who's being investigated by the grand jury. So they very well might. That's the reason for that prohibition. Exactly. Um, there's also a prohibition for potential grand jurors relating to currently serving a first offender sentence, participating in a pretrial diversion program, or some kind of accountability court program. And then there's, you know, there's a lot of case law about whether or not you are a convicted felon for the trial jury purposes, but they made that a specific provision of the grand jury process. So right. there's a whole list of, of qualifica- qualification questions, and we give that to all of our new judges at NJO. And if anybody else needs them for whatever reason, holler at your boys. So Wade, how do you, how do you as the judge kind of start off the qualify or, or the qualification of the jury? So what I do is I allow the DA to ask any other qualification questions they may have in the panel. And I don't let them just go, you know, rogue, but sometimes they will ask, look, we have more than we need today. Do any of you work out of town? Do any of you travel, you know, with your work? Do are any of you the primary caregivers for a minor or, or an elderly person? So that we can find the people who may not technically qualify to be dismissed, but who have those other obligations. Yeah, it was funny. A friend of mine called me recently uh, a few months ago and said, I just got a subpoena for grand jury service. And I started laughing. I said, congratulations, you are also undoubtedly going to be the four person <laughs> because, he, yeah. you know, he was kind of that type. He's a retired yeah. businessman. You know, he's been around the county forever and all that. And we're going to and we're going to talk about that in a minute. I, I hold that for a second. Sure. I really want you to talk about how you, y'all found I, four people. I will. Okay? The four person. I, I definitely will. All right. So once the panel has been asked by all the relevant, you know, they've been asked all those relevant questions. We seat the first 26, 23 plus three alternates. And that's Mm -hmm. what we typically do. Um, We'll always seat 23 plus three if we have them, as long as we have them. I think that sort of if you ask different clerks in different areas, the sort of the turnout rate for how many subpoenas they send out versus how many people show up to do the job is not awesome. It also varies widely from county to county, as I understand. Sometimes too. it sometimes it varies widely from like month, you know, term to term. Sure, but I think hunting that, season versus not hunting season. I know that we are. I, think, I would say we're about fifty percent because we have a lot of people who move in and out of our county. I mean, legitimately not there. Yes, and so I think we're about fifty percent. So if we wanted. If we wanted something like 26, if we wanted 30, we would need to subpoena 60. Yeah, Cobb was the same. We were at about 50% response rate. Uh, and so we would call twice the number that we needed uh, in order to get a, a jury filled out. So I think this whole thing with jury duty is not sinister. It's it's not where people are, are shirking their duties. It's just that people move and different things. People pass away, and we don't always have that information. Yeah, sure. So once this panel has been asked all of the relevant questions, we seat that, that 26 with a 23 plus 3. We almost always do 23 plus 3. Did you all do the same? Yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd make sure we had some alternates. Grand, the Georgia law allows the judge overseeing that grand jury to appoint someone as, fa- as four person and allows the or or allows the grand jurors to elect their own four person. Now that was let's go back to your phone call. Sure. <laughs> so how did you typically did you did y'all usually let the grand jury figure it out or did you appoint somebody? How did you do it? So so the way that they frequently did it in Cobb is once all the juror, grand jurors had been seated. The DA, the sheriff, and the judge would have a little confab about the jurors. And 
each person would give their thoughts about who might be an appropriate uh, four person. Uh, you know, Wait, did you do this in the courtroom? Or? No, we do. We take a break usually and, and talk about this kind of an informal discussion about who might be a good four person, who might be a good um, vice four person or assistant four person, and who might be a good uh, secretary or whatever the other job was that that we normally had. We would normally have somebody who I'll be tell. Took I'll, notes. I'll be honest with you. The only thing that you that you're that you have to do. I'm not saying you're supposed to do. Is a point of four person. Right. All that other is we leave usually to the grand jury. But yeah. you know everybody does but, it a little different. But in Cobb, we yeah we would we would do that and we would we would actually make those as appointments for the grand jury. And again, they're not official positions. But if you needed a scrivener, you know the person who was secretary was supposed to be the one who took notes or did whatever they did. So let me ask you this: What did did y'all go through and say like where do you live and what do you do for a living and do you have a spouse and all that? Did you go through and and do that on the record? How, how did you do that? We did. Yeah, we would go through and just ask a few basic questions. Um, it was usually, uh, you know, what's your marital status? What's your occupation? If you're married, what's your spouse's status? Do you have children? You know, just some things to get an idea of who the person was. And then we'd ask what area of the county they lived in as well. Uh, and then usually your four person would end up being somebody who had been in the county for a minute, you know, had been around for a while, maybe was in an executive position or something at least where they had had some experience in herding some cats, you know, Mm -hmm. so that they would, they would be able to do it. And, um, and then we, yeah, we would pick a four person and congratulate them. You know, they'd be, they would be very excited uh, about being the four person, but they usually roll their eyes. You know, they're like, Oh, thanks. What an honor. Um, But my buddy, when he called me, I said, I said, yeah, you know, congratulations. And I'm sure you're going to be the four person. He called me back that afternoon after he reported and said, how did you know? I said, you're the type, man. You know, you're a retired businessman, lived in the county, you know, 50 years. And you, you were you were destined to get picked as the four person. So he was. And his, his term is up now. But uh, Good for him. He enjoyed it. Um, so if I know somebody on the grand jury, typically I would appoint that person. Otherwise, I'm just going to defer to the grand jurors to figure it out themselves. Um, yeah, they don't it, know enough about each other at that, at that point in time to make an informed decision. Correct. And so I, I usually skip it and let them do that later, but everybody does it a different way. Now the grand juries, the grand jurors, excuse me, and the foreman, I mean, it was take this second, what I'm, what I'm going to call the grand jury oath. And then finally the bailiffs who are going to work with the grand jury have to take a bailiff oath. Right. And so now we are ready to charge this newly minted grand jury. Tank. Yeah. And, and let me, let me do one quick thing. I, I'm going to take one quick detour. One thing that happened in our county, and I'm I'm curious to see if it happened in yours, is before we would select the grand jury, the um, district attorney would generally run a GCIC background check. Almost to, always. To, yeah, to find out if anybody had a criminal conviction. Remember earlier I was talking about those qualification questions? Yeah. That the grand, I'll let the DA ask qualification questions after I do the basic ones? Yeah. A lot of times, are you John Smith with a year of birth of 1993? It's like, yeah. We might need to have a chat offline, but are you you currently on probation? (laughs) Oh, God. Or did you have a felony conviction in, you know, 1993? Were you the victim in thus and so a trial? Oh, my. I mean, you know, wow. Yeah. Right. And, and we would let them, you know, sure. take, take people aside and, sure, sure. and we'd have that conversation. Yes. So anyway, I just want to well, let y'all know there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's pretty commonplace now. Absolutely. 
Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. So that kind of brings me a question to ask you, Tane. Yeah. Did y'all have a court reporter take down the grand jury selection and charge? I knew you were going to ask that, Wade, and my answer is, I don't remember. I think You've that we always did. You've only been retired a couple of months. I, but I haven't done a grand jury. I bet it's been three years really? since I, yeah, the last time I did grand jury. Um, I think that we did. I think there was always a court reporter there taking things down. I don't. Yeah. Um, because It's not required. It's not required. No. And somebody says, well, how will you ever be able to prove that you had, you know, that you did the charge correctly? Take me at my word. <laughs> There's another side to that <laughs> equation. How's anybody going to prove I didn't? Exactly. And the assumption is that you did. So Correct. under the law. So, yeah, I, you know, I, again, I could I can't tell you for 100 percent sure, but it seems like we did have a court reporter that took it down. But I, I it doesn't matter. I mean, the statute doesn't say one way or the other whether you're supposed to. It is a it's in the minutes of the clerks. You exactly. know, the clerk keeps it in the minutes and all Ex- that. Exactly. But that does bring up another point that that is sort of unique to grand juries saying secrecy. Yeah. As a part of the instructions that are given to grand jurors, we tell them that their proceedings are secret and that the grand jurors are not allowed to discuss the happenings in the grand jury unless ordered to do so by court. And I'm pretty sure none of them ever do. So this topic has been discussed on another podcast that I'm fond of. People don't believe we actually listen to other podcasts, but we do. We do. We try to steal from them, too. Absolutely. And then um, shout out. Shout, shout out, out and we're covered. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the topic that they were discussing is exactly to what extent the proceedings are secret. In right. other words, I think that the proceedings that the FOP McBurney, friend of the podcast, friend of podcast. Is, is handling in Fulton County are going to probably test some of that law. There's not a law, not a lot of law here. Right. He asked the rhetorical question to the lawyers. If a if a grand juror chose to talk to the media and said, you know, we talked to um, Alan Jones, I'm just making up a name, in our proceedings, the argument was what is protected by the secrecy provisions is the deliberations of the grand jury, the grand jurors. I'm not. I don't think that's the way the oath implies it. I think it implies that the entire process is secret. But I think we're going to learn a lot. Um, Whereas, like I said, the deliberations versus who they saw. Yeah. Get ready with the uh, with the button, Wade, because I'm going to cite another statute, OCGA section 15-12-72. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. Thank you. Says, grand jurors shall disclose everything which occurs in their service whenever it becomes necessary in any court of record in this state. So that implies that there is, you know, again, this blanket of secrecy over that and that it only gets broken if a court 
requires them. But under 151273, it says admissions and communications among grand jurors are excluded as evidence on the ground of public policy. I think that's what McBurney was talking about. Yeah, exactly the the reason you were saying a minute ago that the deliberations of those grand jurors should be secret. And that makes sense because it protects the individual grand jurors from some sort of retaliation that that might have occurred. A lot of angels getting their wings today. This is really cool. <laughs> they really are. So there's a lot there's very little case law as you can imagine on grand jury secrecy and most of the law is rather dated when I say rather dated I think there were some cases from the 80s, 1980s. Mm-hmm. Most of it predated that. Some of it from the 1880s. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's a lot of pre-Civil War case law yeah. grand juries. So Georgia appellate courts have held that admissions and communications among grand jurors are excluded on public policy grounds. Of course, we've just decided that by statute. They've noted that 151272 is an exception to the broad confidentiality provisions of 151273. In other words, 72 allows a court to order the breaking of that rule that the proceedings are to be secret. Yeah. And the cases are pretty clear that grand jurors cannot be called to testify to impeach their finding of a true bill. In other words, they're finding that someone uh, should be uh, subject to being uh, indicted. But if the testimony is, quote, necessary, a grand juror can be called to testify. And we've got all the citations to all these cases and whatnot in our outline that can be found at goodjudgepod.com. Very nice. We talked a few minutes ago about court reporters and taking down grand jury proceedings. As a rule, they're not required or even advisable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But as with all good laws, there are exceptions to that general rule, Tang. Yeah, OCGA section 15-12-83. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. Are y'all getting tired of that? Yeah, let's kind of back off that. Uh, that statute provides that upon request of the DA, or when considering an indictment against a peace officer for a crime allegedly committed during his or her duties as a peace officer, a court reporter shall be authorized to be present and shall attend such proceedings. However, even the court reporter has to take an oath. We have that oath in the outline. The court reporter is directed to take down the testimony of witnesses and any argument or legal advice given to the grand jury by the DA, but there is no provision and actually it would be improper for them to take down the deliberations of the grand jurors themselves and make that a part of any sort of transcript. And the court reporter is declared by statute to be personally incompetent to stuff to testify. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's that's a privilege that exists in the law. Now, the charge that's given to the grand jurors is lengthy, <laughs> very lengthy. Very I would lengthy. I would say, they, uh, but the and, new and one is better. It is much better. Much better. Ch- ch- you know, kudos to the folks who rewrote yeah, that Judge for Lanier us. And those folks. Yeah, God bless y'all. Uh, but but the the charge is still lengthy, and it involves instructions on how the grand jury is to proceed. It discusses the inspection duties of the grand jury relating to various county offices, the jail, the district attorney, etc. And so. For those who are not regularly involved in the grand jury process, just understand that we're going to discuss some of the things they're doing to in the process of, of looking at legal, uh, excuse me, criminal indictments or non-indictments. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the inspection process because that is painful for them and for us. <laughs> it is. But but just know they do have the right to inspect records and, and, you know, documents relating to money that's taken in by the county and a lot of different things like that. So let's discuss some of the ways that grand juries are different from trial juries that people are more familiar with, Tane. 
the grand jury only hears witnesses called by a prosecutor. Obviously, trial juries hear both, right? They hear anybody who, who either side chooses to call. Right. I mean, this is by design a, a one-sided proceeding to determine whether or not there is a probable cause to indict the person for the crimes that are, are alleged. The defendant has no right to be present except where a peace officer maybe is potentially being uh, in charge with a crime related to their official duties. And if I'm not mistaken, school personnel also are, are uh, no, no, included no. in that. That's just when we have to do warrants. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it relates <laughs> to the grand jury, it's just peace officers in the line of their official duties. And as we said previously, the grand jury must have at least 16 of its members present uh, and able to conduct uh, and able to go forward in order to be able to conduct its business. Tane, are you good with that whole family tree thing where you talk about second cousins and people being removed or twice removed? The levels of affinity and consanguinity? Yeah. No. That. No, not so at all. the same rules that apply to trial jurors apply to grand jurors and that they cannot consider any cases where they're related within the third degree. And frankly, I have a list that, yeah. that, that I go through with trial juries and with grand jurors to make sure that they're, that they don't have an interest in the outcome of the case. Now, Tane, talk to people about when they say, do you have an interest in the outcome? Do they mean, are you curious <laughs> no, that, that's not that the means, interest they're talking no, about. No, that's not the interest they're talking. I mean, we're always interested, right? I mean, our our grand jurors are always engaged and interested. But um, no, it just means you know, do you have a personal stake of some sort in the outcome of of that case? Is there some sort of monetary interest? Is there again a family connection of some kind, a business connection of some kind? You know that old saying, Tane: a well, DA could indict a ham sandwich. <laughs> And and I've seen them do that before, yeah. or at it, least some people I consider to be <laughs> ham sandwiches. The, that's just really based on the fact that the DA controls the information presented to the grand jury by and large. Right. The grand jury is not asked to decide whether the defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Instead, their standard is for, as I said a moment ago, probable cause. That is, whether a person of reasonable caution would believe that the accused committed the crime. That requires a probability, Tane. Not a certainty, but more than just like a suspicion or speculation. And we've got some of those quotes, should that ever become relevant to you, in our outline. At goodjudgepod.com. Yep. Twelve grand jurors must vote to return a true bill. So remember, you got to have at least 16 who are participating. You can have up to 23, but at least 12. So that would be a majority of the 23 um, must vote to return a true bill um, so that there can be a lack of unanimity among the grand jurors. But again, it must be a majority of what the maximum number is. And then if at least 12 of those grand jurors do not vote to issue a true bill, a no bill is returned. The case is not indicted. Two returns of a no bill under that same facts against that same defendant actually bars any future prosecution. Yeah, yeah which is two strikes. Pretty significant. Yeah, pretty significant. All right, so let's let's touch on a thousand foot level the special purpose grand jury. Yeah, which is a a, a different animal than the uh, than the regular grand jury. The law allows for special purpose grand juries, and it's rather rare actually that these sorts of grand juries are impaneled. They have a whole separate set of rules, and we've outlined where you can find those rules in the outline. These special purpose grand juries, Tane, are typically charged with investigating. I hate it, but alleged public corruption or sort of singular events or singular topics. Right. They're not limited to serving only during a single term of court either. They can extend uh, as long as they are needed, essentially, to investigate. So upon the chief superior court judges of that circuit, upon the chief superior court judge's own motion 
or a motion of the DA or a motion by an elected official of any county or city within that county or that circuit, they can request that the judges of superior court consider impaneling a special purpose grand jury. Now, a majority tain of those judges of the superior court of that circuit must agree to impanel a special purpose grand jury, and they issue an order that ends up being important because it sort of defines what the grand jury is charged to investigate. Yeah, it's it's almost like the uh, the the indictment or the you know it's yeah. it, it, it's the it's the outline of of their duties as a special purpose grand jury. Now, once the decision is made by a majority of the superior court judges, the process for summoning potential grand jurors, naming a foreperson, and the other procedural issues associated with the formation of a regular grand jury, all of those apply. In other words, it go, it, it it goes along the same procedure as a grand jury once you've impaneled or once you've summoned them. A special grand jury is confined to the same sorts of issues, and they can only investigate. They can only investigate things like that a regular grand jury can investigate. They can't just go rogue, but they're also limited by their charge. That's true. Yeah, they can't go outside what their the parameters of their charge are. So the language of any court order authorizing the impaneling of a special grand jury, as I've said, is really important. It's the law says that a special grand jury can consider issues authorized by the Constitution, statutes, or quote, by an order of any superior court judge. And therefore, if a special grand jury is being is being considered, the it's gonna be important that the judges issue an order that gives some definition to the extent of their charge. Right. Special grand jurors are authorized to subpoena records, and they are authorized to demand additional documentation that is not necessarily within the authority of a regular grand jury. So they have they have some powers that go beyond that. Um, those requests, though, must be related to the stated purpose of the special grand jury. So by the time this episode airs, Tane, some groundbreaking decisions and maybe some law relating to special grand juries will probably have been made by FOP McBurney. And these issues are probably going to be headed for appellate litigation. And then we'll all learn a great deal about grand juries and special purpose grand juries from our future episodes and those appellate decisions. That's exactly right. So, everybody, that's all right now for our episode dealing with grand juries. 16 to 23 members. 12 people must vote to return a true bill. Elected officials or those who have been elected officials within the last two years are ineligible to serve. And the grand jury only hears from witnesses for the prosecution. What's their standard team? Probable cause. Exactly. So, folks, the outline uh, the the outline is full of statutory and case citations. And that outline, as always, can be found at goodjudgepod.com. Reach out to us on goodjudgepod at gmail.com with all of your podcast topic ideas. And with all of that, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Do you know the inspiration for the Queen's song, Bicycle Race? Bicycle. Bicycle. Exactly. Oh, nice, Wade. Um, Freddie Mercury, who was the band's lead singer, of course, watched a portion of the Tour de France from a hotel window. And he was so inspired that he wrote the song that was released in 1978. Folks, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try to give you actionable information in a format that does not make you want to jump in the creek. Two thoughts on that. One, some topics 
allow us to be a, have a little more room to have fun. But number two, if we failed you, we'll do our best to do it better next time. We know that you have lots of choices, and we're honored that you chose to spend this time with us. We're kind of amazed, to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Hinnerberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness, but hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Mr. Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises since we started this thing, but we didn't, so... Wade and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Tane and I are also very grateful to the State Justice Institute who have been instrumental in our success in that they have provided grants to help us get this product to you. You know these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, SJI, or the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact somebody else for any complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. But seriously, send the bad comments to Wade. Visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all of our episode outlines and more details about our podcast. Some of you send emails asking for copies of these outlines. These outlines are available 24-7, 365 at the website, goodjudgepod.com. You can upload them, download them, or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.